This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Sue the World Traveler. For safety and privacy concerns within the auditing world, we are withholding her last name. Uh, but at any rate, Sue loves to travel. Uh, she's also a pretty intense auditor. Uh, she is known to you know start auditing on a project, get through the workday, get into the evening, and still be working on something and work right through the night. Uh, still be there the next day when people show back up. Uh, but she's, she would say that she works to enjoy traveling outside of working. Uh, she enjoys the work itself, but where she really finds passion is in a traveling setting uh, and going explore and going on adventures and stuff like that. So it's fun to hear about all that whole world. Uh, so I enjoyed this one. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. So... (laughs) (laughs) I hate talking into mics. Actually, what I hate worse is listening to my own voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you get used to it. I'm curious. I'm used to it by now, but at first it was, yeah, really, really weird. But I'm curious because I'm going to send you a link to this afterwards. I'll be curious to see if you, like by the end of it, is it normal? You know what I mean? My voice? Yeah. For you to listen back to it at first, it's going to be like, how weird. But if you listen to us, an hour of us talking, would it be normal by the end of it? I'm curious if one hour is enough. Oh, my, the tone of my voice. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's weird. You just said you you hate listening to your own voice. Right? I you do. Just, and and is it? I think that's normal for everybody. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I think some people like to hear themselves talk. Sure. I'm not one of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but there's a difference between liking to hear yourself talk because you like the ideas that you put out there versus liking the tone of your voice. I think it's universal that everybody when they hear a recording of their voice, they don't like it because it doesn't sound like what they hear. Is that what oh. you're, you know what I mean? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think I don't want to hear myself because it's like, I always think I sound stupid or okay. it's like, you think back and it's like, Oh, I could have answered that better. Yeah. Or for me, I don't know. Maybe the first time I met your dad yeah. was after I had a little accident at my house, the bridge was closed because there was, um, that was when they had the bomb threat. Hmm. And so I ended up going back home. So I'm a couple hours from the bridge, the mm-hmm. Mackinac Bridge. And um, I decided to do clean up. And I ended up tripping over a, you know, those big long garage brooms. Yeah. It was laying on the asphalt sidewalk right in front of my house or mm-hmm. right at my house, basically. And I tripped and I recovered. And then it twisted the pole so that when I recovered, my other leg got it. Oh. And I went flat down. And then a couple seconds later, a big two by four came down and hit me on the head. Unreal. And then my head bounced against the asphalt. So I ended up going to ER and was released at like seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. After that, my voice now sounds nasally. Huh. It turns out that I have like a deviated septum. Okay. So now my voice sounds different. So I don't know. It's like, maybe I should hear what it sounds like yeah. now after <laughs> the incident. <laughs> but yeah, first time I meet him and it's like, by the time I got up there, I'm starting to get black eyes. Yeah. So it was like, oh, first good impression. And here right. I am with these two black eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So I, at first when you said you don't like to hear your voice, I mm-hmm. assumed it was the typical that it sounds different than what you're used to hearing. Oh, no, that wouldn't bother me if it sounded differently. I just don't like to hear it. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. So it's a good, almost a good test, hey, like you said. Yeah, to do so this I'll see and... if my I come out real nasally, like it sounds like in my head. Yeah. I, I'm sure it'll be totally fine, but you'll have a chance to listen to it afterwards. But the mic, my goal with the microphones is that like 10 minutes in or 10 seconds in it, they're gone. Like we're just having a chat whether or not these were here, right? I don't know if that will hold true for you, but that's like how I feel and not what my hope and goal well, is that we're... if I look at you, I'm fine because yeah. I'm not focusing on this, but I've done a lot of presentations. A lot of times I have that lapel thing. Sure, yeah. And I'm one that kind of likes to move and you turn your head and you can't hear, so... Yeah. Um, 
I, I think the stand-up mics work best for me as long as I'm not like focused on it. Okay, sure. So as long as it can get removed from what you're what you're thinking about, I got gotcha. you. So before we started here, we're, mm-hmm. do you mind if we just roll? Like, is this okay? I'm fine. We'll just go with this. Um, before we started, we we're talking about you and your traveling, and and that you have a goal to hit all of the continents. But I want to take you way back before then. Have you always been a traveler, or where did that where did that start for you? Well, growing up, we. We had six kids in my family, and my father was the uh, sole breadwinner. Okay. We did not get to travel much at all. I mean, our travel was camping, and I love to camp, Mm -hmm. but that was the extent of it. We did go out of state one time, but, you know, with that many kids in a station wagon, it was kind of difficult to uh, go very far. Um, Once I started working auditing, I started going basically to counties, different counties in the state. And by the end of my tenure with where I worked before, I probably had visited 45 counties. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to continue to look, to go to all the counties in the state. And the thing for me is you have to go to the county seat. Okay. So I have visited every county seat. And then I started to go to every state. So I have hit 49 of the 50 states. Mm-hmm. And for me, you have to go to the capital to make it count. Okay. And so the only state that I'm missing is Louisiana. Okay. But huh. definitely hit all the other states. Right. And so I initially called you because we were going to talk about auditing. My dad said that you would, there'd be times where he would show up to work in the morning and you were there from the night before still doing auditing work and thinking that, wow, that must be a really big passion for you to push that hard but you had said that it's more of a you, you enjoy it but it's more of a uh, you work to live you work do that work to be able to afford to travel and whatever else right is that true pretty much i okay. work to travel okay but i am pretty dedicated when it comes to auditing and yes he did come in one morning and asked me if i left at night right and i i did have an extra change of clothing in my vehicle yeah and i said no yeah and I'm thinking, what? Did, how did you know that? He right. goes, oh, I didn't see any tire tracks. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. so he nailed me on that one. Right. Um, that was, it was kind of funny because over there at the lagoon area, there was this, I went to leave and it was about four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the door, the light was behind me and there was this turtle that was running really fast towards me. Huh. I mean, it was really aggressive. <laughs> And so I thought, I can't lock the bolt and then run to my truck without this turtle because he's in my path. Yeah. So I had to run in and shut the door and wait for the turtle to go. It was a snapping turtle, and it was big. Yeah. So um, I had to wait for that turtle to leave before I could go back and get out of there. Right. But so the <laughs> that's funny, but the, uh, you were saying they're separate things, but there's a part of me that wonders if they're similar. Because for you on the auditing end, it's very like uh, numbers-oriented, list-oriented, right? Very technical from a, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how to say it, but you took that same approach almost to your travels. Like I want to hit 49 states. I want to hit seven continents and I've got them all dialed as to what they are. So they kind of correlate in a way. Yeah. There's strategies involved in both the auditing and my travels. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm the type of person that if I'm reading a book, I can't put it down till it's done. Or if I'm working on a puzzle, it's hard. It's like just one more piece and you just keep saying one more piece, one more piece. And then, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And that's what I do for auditing too. It's like, I can't stop until I get this done. And Mm. so I just, I'm motivated to complete a certain task or a project. And then of course, when you have deadlines, there's no limit to the amount of time that I'll put in to get that done on time. Yeah. Do you know why that is though? Why why you are drawn to finish the puzzle till 6am and not say, Hey, it's uh, one in the morning. I should call it quits. I just, I think I don't like to leave things hanging. Okay. And I like to make sure that, well, for me, sometimes listening to a book, it's hard to let go if the book is really good. Yeah. If it's not so good, I probably wouldn't stay up all night and read it. But, um, I, I, I have my authors that I really like and usually keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. What, what's some of your favorite authors? Well, I like, let me just disappeared. Um, John Grisham. Okay. Um, Clive Cussler is one of my favorites. John Sanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like uh, Janet Ivanovich. 
Oh, and there's a couple more authors. There's one that has stories about the UP. I can't think of his name. Um, By Sault Ste. Marie. He's a detective. Or he was a retired state uh, Detroit cop that retires up to his father's vacation land in the UP. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love listening to those stories because he does go across, he even went to Misery Bay on one of them. Huh. So that was really interesting because, you know, I know the areas that he's talking about. Right, right. And you're saying he's writing fiction stories or he's writing mm-hmm. nonfiction or what's he writing? He writes fiction. Okay. And, you, and, and traveling as a kid was more limited. It was camping maybe one time going outside of the, outside of the state. Uh, what, what, how old were you when you started doing the auditing work where you started going to every county? Um, so I, I just graduated from Michigan State and got a job in Lansing and, you know, probably like 22, 23 when I started. Okay. And then you started going to all these counties mm-hmm. and then how old were you once you start, or like, was it five years? You said it was shortly after your tenure or when, when did, when did you start saying, Hey, I want to go to all the States too? Um, that was while I was working. Okay. Uh, actually, when I was working, I was part of a group of auditors that would get together and audit another state. Mm-hmm. And so I was fortunate enough to audit the state of Oklahoma hmm. and also the state of Washington. Actually, I got to go there twice. Right. And so when I was in Washington, I would also go to um, uh, Oregon and pretty much Washington and Oregon. Like I traveled the whole state of Washington. Yeah. And that's just a, such a beautiful area. Right. Um, but of course during spring breaks, we go down to Florida, mm-hmm. but my brother moved to Idaho. Okay. And so every year, and this is while I was still working, but every year I would go to visit him and I would take a different niece or nephew with me. Hmm. So every year when I go out West, I'd hit different States, uh, but I always hit Yellowstone and I always hit uh, Mount Rushmore, okay. but getting there, we'd go either the North or the Southern route and mm-hmm. just spend some time going through each of the States. And of course it has, you have to go to the Capitol to make it work. Yeah. And what, what's the, you have to go to the Capitol part. Is it just, uh, something about it doesn't count if you don't do that? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how I feel like it doesn't count unless you see the Capitol, but okay. I love capitals. I love like even courthouse buildings. The old ones, I really love that huh. architecture and uh-huh. just seeing the different capitals. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that Western landscape, do you really enjoy that? I yes. talk about it a lot. Oh, here yes. and I, I, I do. Yeah. I really like it. We, my wife and I and our, our three or two little ones at the time, we just did a big loop out West last fall. Maybe I told you about this, but we went through the badlands in North Dakota to, uh, through Beartooth Pass and Yellowstone up to Glacier, over to the Redwoods, down the Oregon coast mm-hmm. to Yosemite, through Death Valley into Zion and all those parks in Utah, and then up through Wyoming and Colorado and back. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievable. Honestly, once we hit the Badlands in North Dakota, the entire drive was either like hilly or scenery, like hilly, sceny, mountainous rivers the Columbia River Gorge, the shoreline, like every single bit of it was new and exciting. That was an unreal drive. Like I could have hopped back in the car the next day and <laughs> did it right again. I, I did that one time when I went out west and met my brother in Idaho, and then we went to California and mm-hmm. we hit um, Sequoia National. We hit all of the parks up there and we did go down to Bryce and Zion and the Grand Canyons and then head back north. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'd stop off in Wyoming at, um, what's that ski resort over there? I don't know. Um, I don't know Wyoming ski resorts. Ugh, I can't think of the name of it, but we pretty much head all the way there through Wyoming and then up through uh, Utah or Idaho to get back to his place. So it was a big, long loop. And, you know, it's just one of those refresher things that, okay, this is out there. And now I know what I want to go back to see and spend more time on. Yeah. Because I'm sure your trip was probably pretty fast too. Yeah. Pretty fast pace. Yeah, it was. Uh, but it didn't feel too crazy. We per- We intentionally never drove more than eight or 10 hours in a day. Uh, so that helped, but yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you're doing that amount of miles and we did it over the course of like two and a half, three weeks. So for sure it was a, it was a pretty quick pace. Fast. So yeah. I am going to Flagsta- Flagstaff on, uh, I think September 20th or 19th. Okay. So I haven't visited that part of Arizona before, so huh. I'm looking forward to going there and yeah. So and I cut you off, but the traveling itself, does it, do something for you does it make you feel alive does it make you feel like a kid is it uh a a nice mental break from the very number crunching auditing side or do you know why you thrive or why you are drawn towards it 
I'm not exactly sure what drives me to it. I just love to go to new places and explore new things and mm -hmm. just meet new people, just seeing what's out there. Right. And I think um, some of my trips that I've taken were through a, a company, a tour tour guide company. Mm -hmm. And there you get to meet fascinating people who travel with you. But mm -hmm. then I love to go over and see just how other people live and what their customs are and what the culture is. Like when I go overseas, especially because, you know, United States, it's pretty similar. You know, there's some differences, but for the most part, we pretty much have the same cultures. But um, me, my brother and I have a house that we kind of took over from my grandmother. Okay. That's in Atiquipa, Peru. Hmm. So we go to Peru. We had been going once or twice a year for a number of years. But when COVID hit, we stopped going. But we're going to be going back in December just to check on things. So the house has two rental units in the front and mm -hmm. it's off of the big street right by the plaza. And uh, so those rental places, when COVID hit, they, there is no business out there in Peru. Mm -hmm. uh, the doors are open now and so we're gonna go and see how things are going. We have a family that manages the house and they get to live there. Yeah. And we pay, you know, all the utilities and the cable, internet, so. Okay, so you're, it was saying your grandmother that had that house is that where she grew up yes that's i think been in her family since the late 1800s okay huh and then so you guys have go down there quite consistently yes so this year we're bringing another brother okay so i think once he goes down there all of us my five siblings have been down there to the house huh okay and then do you have uh, distant relatives and stuff that live there that you can yes. connect with? Yeah, so we do have a, a cousin that lives in Lima, okay. which is, of course, whenever you fly into Peru, you're pretty much going to hit Lima. So we'll stay there for a few days and visit. Yeah. And then we'll go. Arequipa is like really south Okay. in uh, Peru. And so when my brother would go out there, we would go to Chile. Mm -hmm. We'd like to go to different places once we get to Peru because, you know, we're pretty familiar with the country and... I think I've been to Machu Picchu about five or six times, and uh, my brother has never been there before that's coming for the first time. So hmm. I'll probably end up going there with him, and my other brother will go visit some other friends in like Catapoto, which is kind of by the Amazon. Right, right. As you're talking here, I'm looking at the map, um, and, and you're talking about the towns that you're at, and, and I'm checking them out. But Peru itself, is it pretty mountainous? That's probably a question. Oh, naive it's question, very mountainous. Yes. The yeah. very first time I went to Peru, with my grandmother, uh, there was this sound in the morning. It sounded like there was a train running right next to the house. Okay. And I was I got there in the dark, so I had no idea what, what was around me. Mm -hmm. And and my Spanish is somewhat okay, but you know, I didn't know the word for earthquake. Okay. And it turned out that there was an earthquake that night and that cool. it wasn't a train, it was an earthquake. Right. So, you know, then I was looking at the geography and the plates and yeah, they're in a pretty good spot for earthquakes over there. Hmm. Uh, and you said Machu Picchu, is that Machu how you pronounce Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at that right now. That's this, uh, what are those like ancient ruins of some sort of yes. different like mountain cities basically? Or it, yeah, it's ancient ruins. Okay. That looks unbelievable. When you're standing there in those houses and that, can you like look down the valleys of the oh, mountain yes, below you and all that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've been there, like I said, about five times, and each time you have a tour guide, you learn something new or something different. Uh -huh. And at one point, so none of these houses have any roofs on them. Right. And so one of the guides said that was for them to worship the sun. But then another guide would say, oh, no, those roofs came down and they just haven't been replaced. So it's like you don't really know exactly what the, the true history is of those. Sure. But yeah, they are ancient. And Do you know uh, how old they are? Oh, I don't, can you Google that? No, probably. I would have to say sometime in the early BCs. Okay. Um, or I know that that was one of the first places where they had a sundial and used a sundial. And mm -hmm. there's a big sundial on the top of that mountain. Right. And that was the first time I ever saw a sundial. Right. Huh. But it's, it's pretty old. And they have, each time I go there, you can see where they've closed off more paths because... Um, I think that it's becoming a little more dangerous because, you know, you have the erosion and kind of. Yeah. You have to hike up there or how do you get up there? Uh, 
there's a scary bus drive okay. that you take and it's a bunch of switchbacks yeah and then you get to the top there they do have hiking trails though huh. um like a three to five day hiking trail you can go through and up to the top hmm. okay but uh, the bus drive bus drive is pretty scary and <laughs> i do get car sick so uh, i have to be sitting at the front so i get to see everything and it's yeah. like and it's still pretty scary. Yeah. The, so according to Google, they just said it was built around 1450. Although that seems newer than what I would have anticipated. But either it way, it does still, seem newer than what I was thinking too. Yeah. So I'd have to go back and check it. But either way, it's mm-hmm. ancient stuff. You're it's, looking at it mm-hmm. from days gone by. Um, and yeah, crazy. Okay. So, but you've been to, before we got on, you said, okay, 49 of the 50 states. Yes. Uh, you've been to South America, of course, to Peru and all that, right? You've mm-hmm. been to Africa. You went to Egypt. Um, you've been to Europe and Asia. I've not been to Asia. Okay. But before we got on, we were talking how there's, some people say there's seven continents. Mm-hmm. Some people say there's five. What If there were just five, do you know what they are? Well, I think they combine the America. They call it America, South, okay. North and South America. So we, we consider that two continents, whereas in the five version, mm-hmm. I believe they, they put those both together as one. Okay. And I think also um, the Antarctica one, I think, is combined with maybe Australia. Okay. I think they have like an Australian Oceanic kind of. Um, I am not positive on that. I just. So my sister uh, ran a GM plant in, mm. in England. Mm-hmm. And so that's where i did a lot of my traveling too because once you you're in london you can pretty much go anywhere on the train right yeah and we would also go skiing in the winter time to austria hmm. you know and stop at different places on the way and um, we would take little trips like to prague or um, canary islands um, barcelona oh we've been we've been a lot of places i missed their trip when they went to Dubai. Okay. I missed out on that one, hmm. which would have been interesting. But you know, these days it's like some, there's some places I just don't want to go to. Yeah. Russia would be one. <laughs> right. Right. Especially with, with what's going on right now. Right. right. But the, uh, huh. Do you have, like, are you a different person because of all those travels? Uh, do you have a unique insights you think that you wouldn't have gotten without I think those so. travels? Okay. I think I'm, I appreciate differences in people a okay. little more. Yeah. And I just feel more rounded, I guess. Huh. What about different cultures have different ways of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. And you said that, that you, that's part of what you enjoy is right. learning that and seeing what that is. <clears throat> but is there, like, have you gone to a culture or gone to a place that makes you second guess the style of life you're living currently? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's like, you know, every time I travel, I I don't like to go for more than three weeks because a lot of times after two weeks, it's like, okay, I've had enough. I need to go home. Mm-hmm. So the, the reason I'm asking that question is it feels like there's this thing where somebody might say, hey, Americans, we work around the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't appreciate leisure time or whatever. And they say like, you got to see the French. They really appreciate time off or whatever. I'm making things up. And I think that might be true. They only work 30 hours a week. They take a month off for this. They do this. That is counter to what, uh, you know, the, us in America are used to. Yes. Uh, have you seen that? And, and, I have. and, and, and does that make you second guess again, the way that America is as a society, I guess what I'm trying to. Well, you know, I, I guess I kind of consider it for me coming here to the UP, mm, mm-hmm. you know, downstate, there's just so many cars and so many people. And I just get all antsy when, the, when there's, when you're sitting in traffic or sitting on the highway, it's just, I can't take that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We, again, different places for everybody, right? If, if, uh, your employment takes you there, that's where family is or whatever else. That's great. But yeah, big cities are tough. I, I enjoy going into them and coming and out of them. I do too. Yeah. I love going to New York, yeah. but I don't think I've been there for like a, a two week period. I think I usually go for like a three or four day or maximum a week trip. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I can't handle the people. And I certainly have difficulty with the taxi, not the taxi drivers, right. but I get car sick. And so <laughs> I know that I got really sick one time because of the stopping and the going. And there was so much noise and so many people. I just felt 
really claustrophobic and and just I couldn't handle that. So I like to take the subway when I'm there, or I like to walk. I like to walk. I walk the city all the time, so uh-huh. I really enjoy that. Huh. So, but I, I asked you about have you seen cultures that do things differently and make you second guess the way we do things, and you said no, uh, but you have seen them do things differently. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe you have an appreciation for it, but it doesn't necessarily make you want to change the way you're currently living. But are there other examples of cultures that you've seen, not to generalize any, anybody, but that you wouldn't have expected or is almost surprising? Because it, it, it seems like there's value in potentially studying how other cultures operate and what you can gather from those. Yeah, I... I have seen the different cultures and the way they do things, but that's not something that I would do or yeah. want to do necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I guess I haven't seen something that really was fascinating that I want to change. Okay. Uh, most of the stuff is like, I'd like to help them change, you know? Sure. Yeah. So the, uh, and, and, and also thinking about that is there's a lot of places you've been to that are very economically depressed. Yes. Uh, and have you found it to be a common theme that, or what's the correlation between what you perceive to be their happiness and their economical state or economic state? Have you have you found where there's not a correlation, like the the richer they are, the happier they are, or the opposite almost? I guess in my travels, I mainly see the poorer. Right. Um, but I guess what I'm curious about are they surprisingly not surprisingly? Are they happy? It feels like I've heard this thing and I've seen this thing where sometimes the less material items that you have uh, and the less financial stress that you have, the happier that you are. And I'm curious if you've seen that in those poorer situations. I would not call Iceland poor by any means, okay. but I have been to some places where the people don't have a lot and they're perfectly happy. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of in Peru. In Peru, there's so much poverty there, but... A lot of the people you see on the streets, they're like begging for money. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, I don't see the people. Well, the people that live in our house, they're happy mm-hmm. and they don't have much. But I'm thinking they don't pay much either because we pretty much pay for them to live there sure. as, you know, they're our managers for the house. Right. So they're content. They don't they don't have any big wishes or wants. They're they're very content. Right. Yeah. Just trying to think of any other, like Egypt. I, we weren't there a long time. Uh, I know we took a boat ride down the Nile, and I was pretty disappointed that the Nile was so dirty. There yeah. was so much trash all over the place. Hmm. Just, it just wasn't appealing to me. Right, right. So random side note, uh, even just we'll continue on about the traveling things, but I'm curious in the auditing world, uh, and, and it's totally fine if you have to just shut me down, you can't talk about this, but is there some pretty large... Uh, instances of deception that you've seen where you find some like uh, like out of a movie, some large attempt at fraud or something like that or embezzlement or anything that you've found through those years. Can you talk about that? And if um, you- I think I can. I won't name names, yeah. but there was one in particular that was really a large sum of money taken from a bunch of individuals that were incapacitated so they relied on this person yeah as um a trust a probate officer to take care of their financial situation mm-hmm. and this person um had a number of clients that would she would take money it was it, the way she did it was a little convoluted and you had to follow the the direct path of the the money mm-hmm. and i was working with a detective so whenever i found something suspicious he would go out and investigate it further okay but um she would buy hay okay so somebody in a convalescent home or nursing home doesn't need to purchase hay right she had horses mm-hmm. so the hay was obviously for her and not for her clients right but you would see a lot of, and it was all done through money orders. So we'd have to go and find out who the money orders are paid to and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but any kind of fraud that could be perpetrated, she pretty much did. Right. Doubling up on expenses. You know how you get a double receipt sometimes when you buy some food at the restaurant? Sure. So she would turn them both in and claim them for meals. Hmm. 
Um, but you know, it's you also have to blame the person who's reviewing it for letting it go through. Right. And I remember one time she had the local unit paid for her to go to a conference, and she ended up leaving a couple of days earlier mm-hmm. and told them to send her the refund check for that. So hmm. she didn't pay for it, but I can't believe that the hotel paid her for it. Right. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. All of what we talked about has been... Um, municipalities and has that been your focus or will you end up auditing a you know a mcdonald's down the road or something like that no i i, I have done some nonprofits, um, but most of them are some kind of government oriented okay um, entity like i did a another a pro bono one on a habitat okay just because it, there was suspicious activity and it turned out that it was fraud and um there was another case where you know, you gather up all this evidence, mm-hmm. and then in this case, I provided it to the prosecuting attorney. Oh, actually, I worked with a, another state trooper, and it was provided to the prosecutor, and that one, um, he didn't even contest it. Okay. So he, he didn't even go to trial or anything. Sure. And he had to do restitution. But, you know, how can you steal from a Habitat or right. any kind of nonprofit organization? It's, just, it's sad. Right. Right. But what about otherwise that for that? Like when you go into an audit, of course, your, your goal is, is, is there like a higher arching theme or a goal behind, like, is there like a higher order of auditing where you're, uh, like, is there like a, a motto you live by or, a, or a something like that, that you learn? We have a this? lot of standards that we go by okay. and that you have to comply with. Yeah. And ultimately for the audit, the main goal is to issue, render an opinion on the financial statements to ensure that they're fairly stated. Sure. It's not saying they're stated exactly, you know, accurate to the penny, but it's right. fairly stated. Mm. Okay. And, you know, you, you do ask questions about fraud and, and, you know, your purpose isn't to look for fraud, but certainly if fraud comes into play, you, you do have a responsibility to contact either, you know, a, the the board the top person at wherever you're working or if you have a partner you know you have to contact your partner and then maybe an attorney so it just depends on the circumstances okay uh but when you are you're looking at some books obviously you've done this a ton of times and again let me know if we need to go back to traveling but i'm just curious you're looking at somebody's books you've done this a ton of times are there like in theory if there is fraud there is it pretty quick to pick that out or does it take a lot of slow it depends on the type of fraud that it is like if you have collusion like if you and i collude to steal money it's going to be more difficult to find that but sometimes if you just do an analytical review use some analytical skills you see where one thing is you know higher than another like significantly a significant change in any of your variables you're looking at okay that could be an indicator i mean there's a lot of indicators of fraud Hmm. um, but the main thing is to just look at their internal controls and i always go into situation and say okay if i'm here how can i take money and no one know about it Mm -hmm. so i kind of use that approach wherever i go okay and that sticks with you because getting back to traveling i was in puerto rico once and i used to like and i still do get um, shot glasses. Okay. And I get it from all the countries that I go to because they're little and you can store them better than big mugs. Mm-hmm. So I was at the store. We were kind of running late, but I needed to get my shot glass. And so I waited in this long line. And this woman, I was watching her, she did not ring people up. So she was like just setting aside the money so she could take it later. Right. So when I got there, I asked her for the receipt. 
And she gave me, she took all this receipt paper, rolled it up in ball and threw it at me. It's like, I don't think my purchase was on that receipt. Right. And I thought, I need to talk to the manager because she is stealing them blind. But, you know, it was last call for her flight and I ended up leaving. Yeah. But to this day, I still regret not talking to the manager about that. Yeah. Huh. And that goes wherever I go, whatever store I go to, it's like I'm always looking at internal controls. Right. And so you have a decent amount of uh, exposure with working with detectives, uh, state police, prosecutors, stuff like that, right? Do you, not that you enjoy, but do you appreciate? How do you look at that whole world, right? Like, is it is it kind of like a, a, a mystery or a detective novel when you're going through that kind of stuff and, and finding out the behind the scenes clues to a it fraud is. or something it's, like that? It's kind of like a mystery solver. I, I do enjoy doing that. Yeah. And I've worked with some really, really good people. And like I said, the cases that I've worked on, it never did go to court because I think the evidence was so overwhelming that the people usually pled guilty prior to it actually going to a court. Okay. That one case, I think, where the $300,000 one, I think she wanted to go through each line item and kind of dispute it. but. Mm-hmm she ended up pleading guilty so we didn't have to go through that but you know i'm prepared you have enough evidence and documentation to support everything right Hmm. and other any other uh yeah it seems like because you picture okay a municipality typically it's very just calm relaxing people helping the community you know what i mean or a nonprofit. it's nothing but we're good people we're here to help people uh that's the image right and then behind that, you have somebody that's embezzling or, or, or pulling fraudulent things. That's just a weird dynamic. Um, have you been in situations where you were shocked that the nicest person ever is the one that's pulling off the fraud? Yes. And you have to watch for the people who are very friendly with you yeah. because they're the ones that a lot of times have something to hide. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. So the ones that are too overly friendly and, and, and in a way, like they're almost trying to distract you from it, you think? I, I think they're just trying to be your friend and you would never think of them as doing something illegal. Yeah. Uh, at least that's the only thought I can come up with because I know there's been a couple cases where they wanted to be really close or they wanted, they were interviewing me instead of me interviewing them Mm -hmm. trying to get an idea okay what is she going to look at you know but just being very very friendly and over accommodating it's like you always have a little red flag when that happens okay yeah it's interesting again just uh it feels like there's this thing like again you enjoy the puzzle piece of it all right yes Mm -hmm. you enjoy looking through and going this line by line but you get this little moment where like hey something's off here now you're going down 10 rabbit holes in this little thing it's like you've got this consistency met with like little peaks of, holy crap, we got something going on here. Mm-hmm. Is that how it feels? It does. Yeah. Of course, we have this one policy where you use your professional skepticism for every, you put that in play for everything that you do. And so, you know, your radar is always up yeah. when you're going through that. But yeah, when you see one little bump hiccup in this, whatever you're looking at, and it involves more work then yeah, you get your momentum going and focus on that area. Right. Right. And have you had ones you weren't able to crack or like you feel like, Hey, there's something going on here, but I cannot track this down. Yes. Okay. What does that look like? Pardon? What does that look like? I spend a lot of time, um, my own time, Mm because I don't want to charge the client. If I have a gut feeling about something and I talk to people, I look at the evidence and I can't find it. It's just, you have this gut feeling, right? You know, I might talk to one of the officials about, about you know my feelings about that and mm-hmm. um and they might have that same gut feeling but there i couldn't find any evidence to support it and i think this is true of my predecessor uh, when i talked to the predecessor auditor she had that same gut feeling and she couldn't we couldn't find anything but huh. it's just this feeling that you have right and you don't know what gives you that feeling just intuition yeah i think it's more intuition okay if this was a uh a movie it would have been the official that you talked to that was the guy that was pulling off the thing you know what i mean like, <laughs> <Could have> been. <laughs> you know you went to talk to the high guy you're like hey i think i found something and they're like yeah i think you did yeah usually you try to go one person above you yeah. know who could have been involved in that scheme but it could be that person yeah. so you know you just 
you have to look at the controls in place and who has custody of, of those assets and the transactions. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if it was like someone up there, it's like you can't really talk to a top official, but we could talk to other, hopefully other officials that were the same level or, up, you know. Yeah. Um, so you have had instances where you're pretty sure something was going on or your gut told you something was going on, but there's just nothing you could find. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And, you know, we have our fraud risks that we look at and consider and it's just this gut feeling. Yeah. Isn't there a thing, I feel like I've heard this before, is the <clears throat> prime or the typical candidate for embezzlement is a, like a middle-aged woman with no uh, criminal history? I'm trying to remember. We... I belong, to, I'm a certified fraud examiner as well. And okay. there is a magazine that comes out annually that shows statistics on who's perpetrating the frauds. Sure. And I thought it was the middle white class, white male that was perpetrating it, but you know, that changes okay. you know, from time to time. I, I know at one time it was that, and there's like managers versus staff versus, um, just lower level mm -hmm. um, and I think more of the big dollars is coming from like management and up okay because it was take longer for a you know middle of the class or lower class I don't want to say class but employee yeah. as sure. far as a flowchart goes you know the lower people could probably um, steal more but they're not going to steal as much as someone that's in middle management sure just not have the ability to right yeah um, okay. Huh. And then, so when you, you said when you're traveling or anywhere in a grocery store or anything, you're always looking at, what did you say? Systems or controls or what, what was it that you said? Even in a grocery store? Right. I, yeah. I look at their procedures that they have. And certainly if anybody sees that the a clerk or attendant who's ever taking your money, if you don't ever see the register ring, it's probably something that they're setting aside to pocket later. Yeah. Now, it's more difficult to do that with credit cards, obviously, but it's the cash transactions you really have to watch. And that's hmm. why people say don't mail in cash. That's just dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just an opportunity for the person collecting the cash to pocket it because who's to say they ever got it? Right. So I would definitely encourage people to either write a check or make sure they get a receipt for that. Don't ever mail it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what about like movies along that line? Do you enjoy movies and books like mystery? Oh yes. Uh, that's my favorite. Really? Mm -hmm. Or like a, a bank robbery thing, but that whole world, do you enjoy that? Yes. I okay. Do. And that goes back to the books you said, right? John Grisham mm -hmm. and these guys that John Sanford and yeah. I like detective mystery type books. Okay. Huh. And that all goes back to like this puzzle component, right? Mm -hmm. You like the puzzles, you like the looking into it, you like that. But the travel part, does it fit within that? And it doesn't have to fit within that, but I'm curious how much of it somehow fits within the same same umbrella. I think you, you can be multi-component. You can have multiple components to you. I'm not saying it has to, but I'm just curious if there's correlation in that your enjoyment of travel and what you get out of it. I asked you at the beginning, what do you get out of it or what draws you to it? And you said, I'm not quite sure, but I'm curious if there is some kind of a correlation there. I don't know. I'm always looking for the next big adventure, Okay. you know, so the adventure, um, but yeah, the, the whole puzzle working thing and, and let's say auditing sometimes it's like, you're missing a piece of the puzzle and it's like, that's what gets me to work. Those late night shifts is I'm missing a piece and I'm mm. trying to find it. Mm -hmm. And as far as traveling goes, I, I just enjoy it. I love going to different places, meeting new people, seeing different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I, that's just something that I really, really enjoy doing. Yeah. In my head, it almost makes sense that you enjoy the work that you do. Maybe I hinted at this earlier. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the work that you do, but it's very analytical. I mean, it's line by line, numbers, numbers, equations, calculations, Excel, spreadsheets, whatever. And that's working one side of your brain and the travel is working the other side of your brain. I had somebody tell me, uh, a, a relative or a, my, my sister-in-law's mother told me that I, I, I'm always talking about through hiking, which we talked about, right? Going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail or Appalachian Trail and trying to figure out why am I so drawn towards that? Mm -hmm. And I think it is that sense of adventure, right? Mm -hmm. But also too, she said, and I think there's probably some truth to this, is some truth to this, is that uh, it's, 
using that left side of your brain, or I, I would even be mixing up, but I think it's the left side that's more of an artistic side that's breaking away from that very analytical side, that you're drawn towards that when you live in a very analytical world. Oh. Um, and I'm curious if that's like that for you, where your work, your occupation, even sitting in a grocery store, you're thinking very analytically, whereas the travel allows you to get in this brain space where it's a, a, a intentional reflection of that. Right. So when I come up here or wherever I travel to, like if I'm working, mm-hmm. um, I'm hiking on the different trails and I've recently been really getting into rock hounding and mm-hmm. uh, looking for agates and greenstone and, and that kind of thing. So when I'm in a certain environment, it's like I'm focused on different things and what do people around me do for pleasure and, you know, I'll get into that and you know, really enjoy, I really do enjoy looking for rocks, okay. walking along the beach and course the Uper rocks getting mm. my I've got some good blue black lights that you know go walking down the beach at night and it's just it's relaxing for me yeah but do you think it, that's why because of that left brain right brain, brain thing I the thought, analytical yeah, versus so. maybe I'm like too brained yeah well I think everybody is I think it's just when maybe you're you're probably on the extreme end of the right brain of an analytical compared to your typical person right so then you maybe appreciate on the extreme and the other side to balance that out. Oh, that's probably it. Because yeah, I have to have that sense of adventure too after working all these hours and uh, just doing something for pleasure. And that does bring me pleasure going hiking or you know looking for rocks. Yeah. Not finding rocks doesn't give me much pleasure, but yeah. it's fun going out there and you know, just it is relaxing. Mm-hmm. We talked before we ever hopped on the podcast on our phone conversation when we were talking about having you come on somehow the, the conversation about through hiking came up and doing one of these long trails right did you say you would want to do one i would okay. yes i really would would you like uh, i mean like will uh, will you or maybe i'll ask you directly like will you do it i would i think i would once okay. i'm not working anymore and i can spend more time just not focusing or sometimes when i am on vacation i'm still thinking about work yeah and i bring work so eventually it's going to be coming to the point where I don't have that extra work and mm. I'll feel more like footloose and fancy free to take out three or four days and go on a, a trek. Right. I would love to do that. I did spend a couple of days in Pictured Rocks, Okay. you know, camping, you know, backpacking it and camping out there. Huh. And I really enjoyed that. But. Yeah. But what would you think about three or five months straight? Three or four, that, and that's what would cause me to make sure that I'm not working so I could just take the time and enjoy it. Yeah. I don't know if I could do three months. Uh, definitely, I think I could do a couple weeks for sure. Okay. But I think I'd have to work up to it. Right. You know, start on little tracks and then keep building it up. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know is part of what my draw towards it is I just want to know what happens on day 28 straight of just hiking and camping you know, or, or day 50 or day 80? Like, where do you go to on a mental level, on a physical level? How many ups and downs have you gone through? How many, uh, like you said, unique, interesting people have you met and crossed paths with? So what views have you seen? Uh, how do you change as a person? I, I just want to know that. Do you, can you, well, you said that you'd have to build up to even a couple of weeks kind of thing. Hey, doing mm-hmm. three, four days here, a right. couple of weeks here, right. whatever would you get the same thing in two weeks that you would get in three months, do you think? I think it'd be a starter for me to okay. know what to anticipate because I like to know what to expect, sure. expectations. So going like a week or two weeks would def- definitely give me expectations of what I would need if I was going to stay out longer. Yeah. You know, what am I missing? Is, is Am I missing something that's, that's going to make me want to come home? Mm-hmm. Or can I just go out there and just, you know, enjoy the time and relax i think the biggest thing for me would be like i think i'd be pretty stinky and dirty (laughs) and so i'm sure there would be fresh water around but yeah that would be the biggest thing is you know making sure there was adequate uh i mean obviously there's not going to be a bathroom or anything like that wherever you go and of course i'd rather be out in the woods than in an outhouse anytime yeah so that part wouldn't bother me but you know what would i be missing it's like sometimes uh even going up to copper harbor if I was totally without communication. I had no phone, no internet. It's like I felt lost. Mm-hmm. And I know when you're hiking like that, that would be a norm right. to not have communication with people in most places, I would think. Yeah. So that part, it would be kind of difficult to, you know, 
get away from that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not working, if I'm totally retired, I wouldn't need that kind right. of communication. That wouldn't be a requirement. Yeah. Because you would, uh, you could have a satellite phone with you uh, where you could turn your phone on once a day. Oh, yeah. Know. If there was an emergency, you definitely want to be able to get a hold of, you know, 911. Right. And that's part of, I think, another reason I'm drawn towards it is <clears throat> live in a world where we're so connected. Right. With real estate, with auditing, with anything you're doing and just day to day life, you're always a text away, a call away. Right. You're all emails, this, that, whatever else. I want to know what 30 days straight of no emails and no calls feels like. Do, do you get to a different place on a, on a mental level or, or what? I, I don't know. I guess, again, these are questions I won't, I, I probably won't know till I'm 60, but that's the goal is eventually I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Um, but yeah, just curious about, about that but you think you would start getting into that more of a, a backpacking style of thing yes i would really want to do that and i'd like to try that yeah the extreme of it would be in these other countries like new zealand and peru and all that i wonder what that would be like well i attempted once to okay. climb uh, mount misty okay and so in Atikipa, i think the elevation is probably five to six thousand feet mm-hmm. which for me a sea lander doesn't do very well with the altitude so it takes me a couple days to acclimate to the altitude but we were climbing up to like 10,000 feet Mm -hmm. and I I, my sister well I went with a brother a sister and my cousin and her husband well it was her fiance at the time and those two made it to the top of the mountain and that's where he proposed to her Hmm. so he was getting ready to propose and he he was on his knee. She thought he was falling because it's rough. Yeah. You know, I need oxygen. And we did bring oxygen too, but it got to the point I was like throwing up because yeah. it was so, it was so high and I, and you're, you're going as high as you can and your body just can't take it. Yeah. So we probably stopped about halfway. My brother made it, almost made it to the top, but those two made it to the top and that's where he proposed to her. So that was yeah. pretty cool. Huh. I wish I would have been there for that, but right. I just couldn't. Yeah. And we would camp. So you camp on the... Uh, on the trails going up and mm-hmm. I didn't realize how close our tent was to the edge of the mountain <laughs> right. it was like in the morning we looked down it's like oh my god if we <laughs> rolled over we would have been yeah. rolling down the mountain <laughs> but, yeah. Huh. so yeah I just have to acclimate and you know I'll get on the treadmill and start doing you know higher elevation and just keep working at it right do you uh when you are traveling in these mountainous type settings, do you really appreciate like sunrises, sunsets, the landscape, stuff like that? Oh, I always appreciate it wherever I am, but in the mountains, I just love the mountain scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Do you bring binoculars with you when you go? Yes, I do. Okay. And my 35 millimeter camera, not just my cell phone, but I also bring a regular camera with the extra lenses to really get an appreciation for stuff when I'm out there. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, I brought it up this time because we were supposed to see the northern lights, and that's one of my things that I love to do is look the, for the northern lights. Huh. And what about, uh, what was I thinking about with the uh, the traveling and that side of things? I guess I'm curious for you, what's up next? You said you want to hit all the all the continents, right? Uh, you have New Zealand. Uh, is Australia New Zealand its own continent, or, or they're separate, or what? Yeah, they're they're together. What are they? And call- I think it's I think it's called Austria. Okay. But there's one that was like a Austria Oceanic, okay. which would encompass the whole area over there. I remember reading something about this years ago about Russia, Moscow, and they wanted Moscow to be part of Europe to make it like. Um, just like a, a, a better city, mm-hmm. you know, you're in Europe, so you're, you know, fancy. Sure. But I think technically the way that it's working is supposed to be on the plates where the plates are. Okay. And so that really would have been a different continent. Huh. So that's, I'm kind of remembering from years ago, but um, I kind of remembered that they wanted to be part of Europe. Yeah. yeah. A lot of my geography uh, knowledge is from the game Risk. Remember the game Risk? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We played that growing up, me and my friend Bruce. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah. So that's next for you, though, the Australia side of things. You need to make it to Asia. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I had somebody that wanted to go to China, and that just wasn't like... I mean, there's certain parts of China, I guess, but you know, when COVID hit, it's like, yeah. I don't want to go there and I just don't like the environment right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to be 
something that I'm going to pursue. Sure. But I mean, there's other things in Asia, like is Thailand, Mm -hmm. Thailand might be, I'd like to go there. Okay. Um, just because I love the food, (laughs) but I would like to go there one time. So we'll see what's on. I've never been to Ireland. I've been to Scotland. Okay. You know, and uh, that's part of where um, my ancestry is from is Scotland. Huh. So I got to pretty much go around the whole island. Right. And you you have some relatives in Peru. Do you have relatives in those areas as well? I do. Okay. Did you get to meet them? No. Okay. But you do have some form of relatives over right. there. That was one where I went on this tour group. Okay. And so we had they give you very little free time. I could have stopped going on excursions, but I love going on the excursions to see different things. And, yeah. um, but I've been there and so I know where to go, you know, the next time. So when I go on those tours, it's like giving me an idea of when I come back, where do I want to focus my time on? Hmm. So, you know, there's certain places that I just, I want to go back to. Yeah. Like Santorini islands in Greece. I love that city. And, huh. Um, some of the islands off Italy are really beautiful that I, Capri, I really like that island too. So there's, there's places definitely that I want to go back to, but I want to hit some more places I've never been to before I go back and do repeats. Sure. Sure. Um, I have one more question, Les. Do you have anything else that we didn't cover that you wish we would have? Anything I should have asked you? Okay. Um, I'm curious for you on the... tours that you've been on where it's a guided tour by other people mm-hmm. do you enjoy that more than when you are the one that's the planner or which one do you enjoy more um i hate planning okay. my trips because it is very time consuming yeah you know i'd rather go to somebody that has experts in the area and they they show you what they think is the most important places to go and they make all the arrangements yeah when i travel i it takes me so much time just to get an airline ticket, mm-hmm. you know, and I just trying to get an airline ticket to Flagstaff. It's like, it, it, I don't want to pay a lot. I want to pay the cheapest rate and you're looking and comparing prices. And it's like, it's, it takes up a lot of my time. So if I had someone, if I hired someone to do that for me, I would do that. Huh. Uh, but they set up all the tour guides and like my one trip to Italy and Greece was through the tour company they had all the the airline reservations we had to take a boat you know so they make all those reservations and i do pay more but mm-hmm. that i would pay someone to do that for me so uh so it's, it's good it's just they're on a real rigid schedule right so that's why if i go on there i just know where we want to go back you okay. know because we do we get to see like in iceland we saw the whole island mm-hmm. and there are some beautiful places over there and places i would definitely go back but it was one of those places where I expect to see the Northern Lights every night. And mm-hmm. we never saw, we saw just a glimpse one night, hmm. but it was pretty much cloudy and overcast. So we never got to see them. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, any good tips? If somebody else is going to be a world traveler, uh, you've been all over the place. Any good tips on a technical traveling level, traveling level or things to look out for or make sure you go check out this country or anything like that that you would have for somebody? Well, I can give you one big tip is when you wear a backpack, there are thieves that will have a knife that cut the strap and grab the bag. Okay. So you have to be really protective of your valuables at all times Yeah. in a lot of places. I mean, sometimes even leaving luggage, I know when we were in uh, the jungle Amazon, we had to drop our luggage off at a certain place and then they took us on a tour, we came back and my brother's binoculars, really expensive, he brought, borrowed them from his father-in-law mm-hmm. were missing and mm-hmm. some other things were missing. Um, I take my valuables with me, but they felt it was safe there. So, you know, you have to protect your valuables. Okay. Whatever you can afford to let go, you can, you know, leave it, leave it behind. But I would say, make sure you have your valuables. Go in groups if you can. Yeah. Not that I've been in a lot of dangerous situations, but even going to Peru, walking the streets, you have to be mindful of your environment. Yeah. Right. So I'd say be mindful of your environment. Carry your valuables. Be protective of your backpack. People say to put the backpack on your front instead of your back, so mm-hmm. you have better control over it. What were your other questions? There was, it was a well, multi-question, wasn't well, good it? Good tips, basically. Good tips. And, and, and any, any application. So 
thinking about where, you know, is there some favorite places that if you said, Hey, you have one trip to go on, go check this out. Um, and I know that's so subjective, but do you have a place that stands out? Like, Hey, this was maybe the most surprising. This is the most shocking. Like you should go check this out. Well, I really loved the islands of Santorini. It's part of the Greek islands and, um, and Capri in Italy. But mm-hmm. I, I really, when we went there, we also went to Athens and we went to Rome, mm-hmm. Roma, and the Vatican. And those were really nice places to go. And before I go on any trip, I always bone up on on language. Right. You know, like I'll t- learn certain expressions. And in that case, I boned up on the um, mythology, both Greek and mm-hmm. Roman, because mm-hmm. you do go and see a lot of a lot of things that are kind of the mythology of you know the gods and everything so i was already prepared for that and i knew what they were talking about when they were talking about the different places we were going to so i like to bone up on wherever you're going yeah what about on top of language and you i guess in this instance you said mythology for greek but history too like do you like to know a lot of the history oh i love history yes yeah it feels like it's cool to know some of that backstory when you're at a place. It just gives it way more context. Right, because yeah. they will talk about, you know, a lot of tour guides, they'll talk about the history, but just knowing the history before you go mm-hmm. is, it makes it better. Yeah. You know, you have certain expectations and you know what they're talking about. Right. And so you could ask some questions if they didn't cover things that you had questions in your mind about or what they didn't cover. Yeah. And it almost seems like the tour guide history that you're going to get is you're going to get a quick expression about... 200 years of history. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can read about it, you know, a lot of the in-depth history that just on the tour guide, all it was is like, Oh, King James the third, uh, this is where he grew up or whatever. Right. You know, and you're like, you actually know some backstory to that. I think it makes right. it way more engaging. King Henry the eighth and going to the tower and, you know, just yeah. boning up on all that stuff before you go. Yeah. I do that for theater, some theater work too. If I'm going to a theater, I'll kind of read up about it yeah. and, uh, before I go. So I'm more familiar with it. Right, right. But no, Sue, this is fun. Before we hopped on, you were saying, hey, if this doesn't fit, like that's okay. But for sure, like if you're okay with this, I would absolutely release this. It's fun to hear about the, the travels and then also the auditing side. I didn't think we'd necessarily get into that, but it's fun to hear about, again, the the, the thought of fraud happening on a municipality level or something oh, like that. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it's real and it's there. And, you know, everyone has to be you have to have good internal controls in place because there had been one period of time where there was a lot of fraud in, in courts. Okay. You know, I, I think that there's more controls in there now, but there was, you know, I think that was a hot spot at one time. Hmm. So it does happen no matter where, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a grocery store, whether it's a gas station, you know, especially when there's a lot of cash involved, it's so easy to kind of get around those controls and yeah. pocket the cash. But Right. Right. And then to the thought of the, uh, the nonprofit fraud too, right? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Cause they're hidden behind a cloak of, we do good things. Right. And you've seen a lot of churches where there's been a lot of fraud too. Yeah. And that's, it's so sad. I just, right. you know, in the name of can't a higher believe good, eh? people yeah. would do that to right. a church or a nonprofit that that's there to do good and to help people. And someone's helping themselves to the cash. Huh. Yeah. Right. So crazy to hear about, but fun to hear about. So we'll talk about it after, but if, if you were good with releasing this, absolutely. I would be fun to share this with people. Okay. But thanks for coming on. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast where if you listen and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.